So I, uh, I love fantasy literature. I know a lot of you love fantasy literature because we've talked about it before. Uh, but a really common theme in fantasy literature is the portal between worlds. So think Narnia and the wardrobe, Harry Potter and the platform. What's the platform in Harry Potter? Nine and three quarters. Uh, one of my favorite writers is a guy named Neil Gaiman, and he has a book called Neverwhere, which I love, where he actually, this, his protagonist falls through a crack in a sidewalk into another world. Uh, the portal between worlds. And for some reason, this captures our imagination. I don't care who you are, there's something about an ordinary place all of a sudden becoming magical, where you tap into something that's really, really special. You guys feel me on this? There's something about that that's just wonderful. Um, and I think it's deeper than just playfulness. Uh, I think there's, for all of humanity, there's always been places of spiritual significance that have a massive draw on all of us. Uh, where we either think we can tap into some type of spirituality or we can meet God. Uh, so the world is full of holy places, right? We flock to religious shrines. We pay money to see a relic. Uh, I was thinking even in Wisconsin Dells, the last time I drove, drove through, there were ghost tours. So people are even drawn to something even in the Wisconsin Dells, which is hilarious. Uh, we take off our hat when we enter really beautiful sanctuaries. There's some concept that we have of holy places. And all people of all religions in all time have done this. It's not just a certain type of person or a certain type of religion. And I think we are all drawn to what Celtic Christians call thin places. Um, so the idea of a thin place is where heaven and earth aren't far apart. So there's like a, a thin border between heaven and earth. And I'm sure all of you, just as it was for me, at some point in your life, have sought God in a thin place. Uh, at some point, whether you're, you call yourself a Christian or you're visiting here today and you're just interested in Christian things, you've sought God, maybe it was in the woods, uh, or maybe you ended up in a beautiful sanctuary in Europe and you had a thought that maybe God would meet you there. We've all sought the Lord. We've all sought thin places. I think all of us at one point ask, where is God? Is he in an actual particular place? Is there a consistent place where you can meet him? Is there a portal on earth between heaven and earth? You guys feel me on that? I've done that. And when you think about that, whatever questions you have, whatever life experience kind of aligns to that in your life, hold on to that and take it to these passages that we're gonna look through because the scriptures actually answer all those questions. And I think the answers are remarkable. So this has to do with the deepest things in the world, but also has to do with us in this particular moment in Edgewood High School of Christ Church Madison. Uh, so get excited and grab your bulletin because I'm going to walk with you a lot of walk through a lot of the scripture with you. Um, I'm going to throw a lot of Bible at you this morning, but my hope is that whether or not, uh, again, you know the Bible really well or you don't know any of it, it'll make sense. Uh, but I am going to we're going to dive into a lot this morning. But I trust that more than just being mildly entertained, you are interested in the deep things of God. Amen. OK, so I uh, in this this kind of answering these questions of where is God? Is there a place? Is there a portal between heaven and earth? Uh, I have three, three main points, and they're actually on the, uh, in the bulletin in there. And I gave you a little space to fill it in if you're a note taker. The first point is this. God provides a place. 
God provides a place. So let's go together to Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Uh, Now, let's stop there for a second because I want to give you a little context to this story if you have an idea of what's happening here. Uh, In these first few verses, we get Jacob, this character, on the run. And it's a long story, but to give you the headlines, Jacob is this guy who's an absolute rascal, okay? He's a really, really shady dude. He swindled his brother out of his birthright in a really weak moment and then later tricked his dad into thinking he was his brother in order to, to get his dad's blessing. And then, after he did all that, he fled so that his brother wouldn't kill him who he just swindled, okay? So imagine that you're in a family business and you swindled your brother somehow, financially, out of all the benefits of the family business. And then you got your dad, when he was ailing and basically on his deathbed, to sign over everything to you in kind of a tricky way that was never intended. That's kind of what he did. And then imagine that everybody finds out about it in your household and is like, I can't believe you just did this and tricked everybody to get your way. And they were all gonna kill you and you hopped in a car and you start driving to like Las Vegas or the desert to flee and you're terrified. That's getting close to what's happening when we arrive at this point in the story. So Jacob is not a righteous person here. He's not at his best. He's actually at his worst. And I have this image. uh, There's a lot of movies that have this image of him just running into the darkness, into the wilderness, sweating, panting, looking over his shoulder out of fear of what he's done. He's fleeing. And that's what makes this really, really audacious. So read with me in verse 12. With that image in your mind of Jacob panting, terrified with wide eyes, running into the wilderness. So he's laid down to sleep. Verse 12, and he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth. And the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed." Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God the gate of heaven. So while Jacob is running, he's running into the wilderness, he's terrified, he stumbles upon a thin place. He stumbles upon a portal. And it'd actually be more accurate to say that God met him. He didn't stumble onto it. God intentionally set this up, right, to meet him. God provides a place for Jacob, not when he's at his best, but when he's at his worst. And what is this place? So what's going on here? I think it's best to just take Jacob at his word. So first, it's God's house, Jacob says. If you look at verse 13, it says that God is standing there. He's actually there. It's his dwelling place. And he adds in verse 17 that it's the gate of heaven. So angels are ascending and descending 
heaven and earth are coming together in this place. Uh, artists have painted and drawn this in a lot of crazy ways over the years because people are trying to get an idea of what it looks like. But what's really clear is heaven and earth are close. It's a portal. And even though God can be and is everywhere, Jacob realizes there's something unique and particular about this place. So there's a way that God is in this place where Jacob is uh, that's unique in a way that other places are not. And so he says, oh my goodness, how awesome is this place. And the word awesome there derives from the word fear in the Old Testament. So it's less like surfing awesome. Uh, I lived in England and everybody just thought all Americans said is awesome as much as I did. It's not like, bro, how awesome is this place? He's afraid. Uh, That's the same word that it says Adam has in the garden when he hears God walking in the garden. How awesome. He's trembling with awe. Now, imagine if this happened to you, okay? You're fleeing to Las Vegas because you just swindled your family and you're filled with shame, maybe, or you're filled with greed, whatever you're filled with, and you stumble upon this. Can you imagine that? The gate of heaven? This would be shocking in any case, but what's most shocking about this that I've just thought about this week and I've talked with some of you about is that it's this kind of place that we lost in the Garden of Eden. So I need to take you on a a two-second rerun here. In the beginning, God created his people to dwell with and among his people. So in the early chapters of Genesis, it's almost like the whole garden is a thin place, right? Everything is, is together. God's walking in the garden. But when paradise was lost because of our sin and rebellion against God, Adam and Eve were cut off from the thin place. So there was actually a separation where they had to leave the thin place. And I think in a way I thought of Adam and Eve leaving the Garden of Eden in a similar way to Jacob. They're running into the darkness. They're sweating. They're looking over their shoulder. They're panting. They're filled with shame. And in a way, the story of Scripture Uh, And I think the story of humanity and history, a lot of ways, is humanity doing the same thing, kind of running into the darkness, sweating and looking over their shoulder. And with that in mind, do you see how amazing this is? Even though Jacob didn't deserve it, even though humanity didn't deserve it, God provided a place. He showed up. Unannounced, unexpected, undeserved, he just showed up. Not when Jacob was at his best, when he was at his worst. One of my uh, mentors and favorite Bible scholars has always talked about how the the main story arc of Scripture is about God reestablishing his presence. And did you notice how in this chapter when God talks to Jacob, he tells him that through Jacob, all the families of the world are going to be blessed. So it's almost like he's providing a place for Jacob in order to provide a place for the whole world. He's kind of giving this foreshadowing, which is really amazing so that all earth could have a place. Now, imagine that this happened to you really quick. Uh, What would be your first reaction if you woke up the next morning? I'll tell you what mine would be. Mine would be to grab somebody else and bring them and show them. I would find Marissa, whatever she was doing, and I would say, babe, you've got to see it. I found the gate of heaven, the doorway, you know? I would want to like buy the real estate and market it so that people could come and experience what I had experienced. Uh, We had just watched Field of Dreams, and there's another portal. It's just in baseball. It's not in fantasy literature. Uh, But people will come, Ray. It's like, man, people are going to want to come see this. Uh, And I actually think that's Jacob's inclination. So in verse 19, did you notice this? He wakes up, 
and he slept on this stone and he grabs it. And I imagine he looks at it and is like, what kind of rock is this? You know, <laughs> he's kind of freaking out for a second. And then uh, he makes this cheeky rascally vow with God where he says, if back to God, he's like, he's still conniving and trying to barter with God. Like unbelievable. Jacob, amazing. But he says, basically, if you do all the things you just said, then I'll come back here. And with this stone, I'll build your house. So it's almost like he's looking at the place and he has this rock and he's thinking, this is going to be the first building block of building a building around this place so that it can be permanent and other people can access it. In the grand story of the Bible, that's exactly what happens. But not because Jacob was entrepreneurial, but because it was God's plan all along. So eventually, God keeps his promise to Jacob, and his offspring becomes a nation, the nation of Israel, which was named after Jacob. And God provides a place for them in the middle of them to always be with them. So first, he gives them what's called a tabernacle, which was basically when the people of Israel were a church plant, which you can all understand. It's when they were traveling and they had this space, it was like a tent, where God was. They could point to it and say, God is there among us. Moses would speak with him there. And then eventually, when they get to the promised land, that becomes the temple. And what was the temple built out of? You can talk back to me. It's all right. Stones, right? It happens. It becomes a house. And God fills it with amazing ways. And the inside of the temple was decorated with trees and fruit, almost to imitate the Garden of Eden. So God was providing a place for his people in the middle of his people. Okay, imagine for a second if in the middle of Madison there was a place where you could palpably point to and say, God, the creator of heaven and earth, dwells in that place. Can you imagine that? What do you think that would do for you and to your city? I think it would affect your city planning, right? You'd probably put that at the middle. Um, It would affect your time and your rhythms as a family. Special things would probably happen there because you would want to go and meet God. That's exactly what the people of Israel did. And they cherished and were amazed at the fact that God had provided a place for them in the middle of their people. So David says, how lovely is your dwelling place. I actually read this morning in just my daily reading in Psalm 90. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. I love this from the book of Zechariah, who's a prophet in the Old Testament. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. So even other nations are hearing that God had provided a place for this people. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine what that would be like if that existed? Yeah? But this isn't the end of the story because I still have two more outline points, which aren't going to be as long as this one, I promise. You see, the people kept on rejecting the presence of God in the temple in their sin, which was a problem. Um, So just like Adam and Eve were, were kicked out and were separated from the garden, eventually that happens with the people of Israel because they keep on scorning God's presence in his place. And just like Jacob in Genesis 28 with this stone, prepared the hearts and imaginations of the people for the actual temple. This is amazing. So the temple God used to prepare the hearts and the imaginations of his people for an even greater place. Okay, hundreds of years later, Jesus of Nazareth, an actual guy, 
steps out of the sticks of Galilee, which would have been like Northwoods, Wisconsin. Maybe. I don't know. And he's having a conversation with this guy named Nathaniel. And it's really hilarious because Nathaniel like, doesn't believe in Jesus and whatever. But then Jesus says basically that he saw Nathaniel under a fig tree when he knew nobody could actually see him. And Nathaniel's freaked out because that means this guy has like special power. So he, he freaks out and he says, oh my gosh. you know. And Jesus says this back to him. Listen to this. This is in chapter one of John. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, now listen carefully to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Isn't that amazing? Do you catch what Jesus is saying? Genesis says this. Let me read this again. And he dreamed and there was a ladder And behold, angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So what Jesus is doing is he's taking this passage and he knows exactly what he's doing. And he knows Nathaniel knows Genesis 28. And he says, it's me. I'm the place. What you're going to see is the same thing Jacob experienced, except it's on me. And Nathaniel realized that he just stumbled on a thin place. I'm sure Nathaniel's heart of hearts, he was like, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. How awesome is this place? So in the great overwhelming wisdom of God, he continued to provide a place for his people, the house of God, the gate of heaven, in the person, the actual historical person of Jesus. By the way, my second outline point, I think I skipped it, is Jesus is the place. So the first one is God provides a place. The second one is, Jesus is the place. Lest I forget my super easy outline and make my sermon that much harder to comprehend. Um, I love how the the New Testament uses all the same language we talked about, but it just attaches it to Jesus. So John 1 says that Jesus tabernacled among us, uses the same word. And then in our gospel reading that Margaret read this morning, did you catch how Jesus says his body is the temple? Nobody gets it. They're all like, how can you say you're going to tear this building down and rebuild it? It took us you know, forever to do this, but they don't understand that he was talking about the temple of his body. Do you guys catch that? So he himself is where heaven and earth meet. Son of man, son of God. He is the temple. And in the reading that John read, did you see how the stone image remains? Jesus loved to quote, Psalm 118, which says the stone talking about himself that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. So the materials changed, but everything is the same. One time Jacob was holding a stone and he was saying, I will use this essential building block to build God's new house. And the scriptures say that Jesus is the cornerstone. Isn't that awesome? What I love about this is just like Jacob, every single one of us are rascals and we do not deserve for Jesus to show up and be the door of heaven and earth for us. But he does it out of his unfathomable love for us. It's a complete act of grace. You're running, I'm running into the darkness, sweating, looking over my shoulder from whatever we've just run away from. Not when we're at our best, when we're at our worst, 
and Jesus shows up. Boom. Unexpected, unannounced, undeserved, but he shows up and he provides a place for his people. But it gets so much better. And this is where, uh, this is where it gets even, because you know, Jesus' story goes on. Jesus also came to solve, not just to provide a place, but to solve the problem of us rejecting his place and leaving. So Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden. Uh, even Israel again eventually get kicked out of Jerusalem because they reject God. God actually leaves the temple at one, at one point. And eventually, as you might know, and as was foretold through all the scriptures, Jesus, the temple of God, the house of God, the place where God dwelled, was hung on a cross and was executed. Humanity essentially again says, no, we don't want the place. We'd rather do what we want, when we want, how we want it. And everybody's like, and when do we want it? Now. They all said, no, they rejected it. And then I think if you read the gospel stories, you get this moment where everybody, disciples, everybody starts sprinting into the darkness, scared, afraid, sweating, looking over their backs and terrified. But the good news of Jesus, and man, this is good news, is that on the cross, he did the unthinkable. Jesus experienced in our place and once and for all the separation that was the result of all of our sin and our rejection of God. He experienced separation for us from God so that we could be close to God. So some of you might know this, but Jesus quotes a psalm on the cross, Psalm 22, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far He endured that separation so that you and I would never have to again. Isn't that amazing? Amen? Amen. Jesus is the place. Not when we're at our best. Not not when we're uh, the most righteous or the most churchy. When we're at our worst, Jesus provides a place. Jesus is the place. And we get in there, but I still have one more bullet point left. Uh, How are you guys? We doing okay? You still tracking? We've gone through a lot of scripture, but... This is where it gets even more amazing and crazy. God provides a place. Jesus is the place. Um, But listen to this. There's this one time where Jesus is hanging out with some of his friends. And he says to them, hey, who do you guys think I actually am? Which I love. It's like, what do you, who do you think, you know, what do you think is happening right now? As I'm like raising the dead and doing all these amazing things. And one guy named Simon points at him and says, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says something amazing back to him. Blessed are you because my father revealed that to you. And then he says, from now on, your name is Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Peter means rock in Greek, as you might know. And at that moment, Jesus was pointing at Peter and essentially saying, I got a stone. I've got an essential building block of a new house. You guys tracking here? This is where it gets really, really cool. After Jesus rose from the dead, he did something which he'd always hinted at. He ascended into heaven. He sent his spirit to not live among or with his people, but in his people. And at that point, his people become the house of God, the gate of heaven. Peter was the rock which was laid on the cornerstone of Jesus upon which the church has been built. Now listen to 1 Peter again, which John read. As you come to him... Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourself, 
like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. My third uh, outline point is this. Jesus' people become the place. God provides a place. Jesus is the place. Jesus' people become the place. Same exact idea. Same exact image. The Bible is making very clear. You don't miss it. Isn't that amazing? The Bible even says multiple times to people like you and me, you are the temple. You plural, not you singular. All of us are the temple. And I know and I've thrown a lot at you, but here's where I want the dots to start connecting and the pennies to start dropping when you think about church. Look around you. We are in Edgewood High School, okay? Edgewood High is not the place, but here's what the Bible's saying. That means that the church, when God's people come together, is the place which God has provided for the world. The gate of heaven, the house of God. And all of us should be thinking, how awesome is this place? Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. It is the place when you and I are running into the darkness, sweating, looking over our shoulders, either running from something or to something or out of shame or fear. It is the place that God meets us. Now, is God everywhere? Absolutely. Can he meet you in the woods? 100%. Skydiving, music, painting, whatever it is where God meets you, does and can he meet you there? 100%. But there is something particular and unique about the church. God has always promised to put his name in a place. And in the history of the Bible that we're actually writing and in right now, that place is the church. God might, always meet, might not always meet you in the woods, but he always will meet you in the church. Uh, you might be thinking, I thought church was just like where you get coffee, which I think we'll have after the service, right? Sorry if you showed up and were like, where's coffee? Uh, but you might be thinking like, I thought you know, church was just about coffee and then you hear a relevant spiritual idea or whatever. And that might be true, but the church has always understood the awesomeness of this. So in the most historic traditions of the church, Orthodox, Catholic, even Anglican, there's typically a procession that happens at the beginning of the service. We didn't have one today, but we also don't even really have a functional sound system, so we'll get there, okay? Um, but that's always signified to the people that, that everybody is entering into sacred space. And in our service, what you're experiencing right now, God meets you in his word. You meet him at his table. He invites you physically into his presence. And he is among us and with us as we are all unified in the Holy Spirit. That means God's here. There is a profound mingling of heaven and earth in everything we do. In a second, whether you've been to this type of a church before or not, we're going to go through our Eucharistic liturgy. And there's this idea that we are being swept up into the heavenlies. So you'll hear us before we sing this song called the Sanctus, which is where we go, holy, 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 God of power and might. It says, joining our voices with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. At that point, we're literally being brought up into the heavenlies where all angels and archangels are worshiping Jesus, and we join in it. Isn't that amazing? God himself is here because Jesus is the place, and God's people is where Jesus dwells. 
And we always will be that place until the end of all things, when we see Jesus as he is, when he comes back, and we will hear in a loud voice, like it says in Revelation, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and there won't be a temple anymore because he'll be here with us. Amen? That's a comforting thought, isn't it? But until then, this is the place. Uh, I don't know if many of you like the talking heads. I've had the talking head song, this must be the place in my head. The whole time I've been writing this sermon. Maybe we'll play that after the service. This is the place. Now to land the plane, uh, we're in a unique moment as a community. So uh, some of you were at my ordination service uh, and the, our, the sending of our church a couple weeks ago, which was really special. But a friend and a pastor mentor of mine came up to me after the service and said that he'd had this really strong, clear image, uh, like a vision for our church that he felt like the Lord gave him for us. And it was Genesis 28. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place? I want us to think of church. We're not the only ones. Wherever word and sacrament and the Holy Spirit is happening in Madison, but I want us to think of what we are a part of and we are doing on this level. When I read Jacob's Ladder, it's like constellations are exploding, and there's colors, and it's terrifying, and it's holy, you know, that, that part of scripture is so fascinating to me. I want you to roll out of bed and think that this is the place. Surely the Lord is here and I did not know it. I think the Bible wants us and asks us to think about this with that much uh, sacredness. You guys see that? Now, we're in Edgewood, we're figuring stuff out. You might not think that now, but my prayer is that we will all in our own ways as we continue to join and bring more people into this, wake up, whether, it's, whether our eyes are already open or not, and say, the Lord is here. Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. If you've been following Jesus for a while, I pray that this season of church life would be a season of kind of pulling back the veil of how sacred and how consistent you meet God at church in his word, in his table, in the unity of his Holy Spirit. If you're here and you're just visiting, my prayer is that you would realize that Jesus experienced separation from God so you could be close to him. And that you would have your own Jacob moment of saying, surely God is here and I did not know it. That's kind of part of why our vision is we are all, whatever stage you're at, a community coming home to Jesus and his church, the house of God, the gate of heaven. How awesome is this place?